Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 26. I'm so excited about our guest today. If you've been around for a while, you might remember back on episode two, I talked with my good friend, Jessica Simpson, about women in ministry. In that conversation, we referenced the book, He Called Her, Pentecostal Women in Ministry, several times. And today I'm talking with the author, Daniel Corin. Daniel holds a master's in theology from Urshan Graduate School and is an ordained minister with the United Pentecostal Church International. He and his wife, Leanne, are parents of eight children, and they live in Branson, Missouri. I invited him on the show to talk more about the topic of women in ministry, but also just about the idea of not being afraid to change our minds about long-held traditional teachings. This conversation ranges all over, and I think it's going to be a blessing to anyone who feels called by God. So let's get right to it. Here is my chat with Daniel Corin. Daniel Corin, welcome to Good Question. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Anyone who has been listening to our show since the beginning will remember that back on episode two, I did an interview with a good friend of mine. Her name is Jessica Simpson. She's a licensed minister in the state of North Carolina. And we referenced your book a lot <laughs> in, that, in that interview uh, and in that discussion. It has been a blessing to both of us. And I'm just really thrilled to get to talk to you about it because I feel like it's really important and really been impactful for us. And so I want to discuss with you in a lot of more detail in a little bit. But first of all, I would like to have you just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you're about. Okay, that's broad. Let's see <laughs> how I can hear that. Um, I'm a happy father and husband. My wife and I, Leanne, we have eight children, ages 23 to two. Wow. Even more remarkable than that is she birthed them all at home because that's what she wanted to do. Oh, my goodness. So she's a pretty tough lady, yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's a lot of fun. We started out; our goal was to have twelve kids. She said she now says it was my goal, not her goal. But anyway, <laughs> we kind of settled for eight, so we figured that was uh, close enough. I, I wanted to, you know, they say everything's cheaper by the dozen. So you know, I thought <laughs> it's not true; it's a lie. I'll tell you. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. I've served in pastoral ministry for sixteen years authored a few books. Currently, I'm teaching a course at Urshan College, an online course. Got a few other things in the works, but mainly focus on parenting and providing for my family. So That's very cool. Eight children. Wow. I, yeah, that blows my mind a little bit. Kudos to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I have two, and it's about more than I can handle most days. So, <laughs> Yeah, people ask her, you know, what, what her ministry goals are, you know, 
did the book inspire her to pass or whatever? She goes, this is my ministry. I've got yeah, my hands full right now. Yeah, that's a full-time <laughs> job right there. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you mentioned writing books. The book of yours that I have read is He Called Her Pentecostal Women in Ministry. And before we even get into kind of the content of that book, I'm really curious to talk about the concept of changing our minds. So you mm. you wrote a book based off of an idea that you held one belief and then when you when you went and looked at the word you changed your mind. And I think that in and of itself is just powerful and it's unusual. I feel like a lot of times we have long-held beliefs, traditional teachings and beliefs that we've held onto for a long time. And to go back and examine those and to change our minds about them is kind of a big deal. Can you talk about that for a few minutes? Like what, what was that like? And why do you think people are so resistant to changing our minds? Tried. Hmm. We've always believed it or somebody we greatly admire believed it and we consider ourselves part of their camp. Hmm. So to have our own opinion or to diverge from that person's perspective is going to hurt our identity that we've defended. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of it. Everybody's got different motivations. So it's probably hard to say a blanket statement, but that's always been. And I think that's the only way we arrive at truth. It's the only way we began to realize what the book of Acts meant is somebody was willing to say, well, we're not going to just accept what somebody in a podium told us. But if this is God's word and it was for them, then it's for now. And, uh, you know, that's how we came to understand the outpouring of the Spirit that happened over 100 years ago in America. Um, and same thing with so many other things from Scripture. And I think it's really interesting when you get into the topic of women in ministry. I find myself challenged discussing this with people that don't come from a Spirit-filled experience. Mm-hmm. Because the dynamics of the conversation are different. I mean, we come to this. Uh, the, the challenge I faced was God's Word says women are to be silent. Mm -hmm. But then God's word says the women will prophesy. And to be filled with God's spirit, you're going to speak. Mm -hmm. So what is going on? And and so I know the word of God is unified. It's not, there's no cancer in the scripture where one verse attacks another. That's where there had to be a solution that made sense of all those passages that we see that, that, you know, sometimes people cling to one favorite passage and say, well, I, I'm not going to listen to anything else because this says this. But the dynamic is when God's spirit moves on a woman, she's going to speak. And David Norris tells me, I argue from the point of absurdity sometimes, but sometimes that's the only way to get the point across to some people. But I mean, it, when God moves on a woman to speak a word of prophecy, do we need to first say, men, out. <laughs> all the men leave the room because God's speaking through a woman right now. Right. It's absurd, but if you really believe that, then you have to believe the other two. If you believe women can't speak. So then people take the battle line back a little bit further. So women are not saying they can't speak. They just can't teach. Right. <laughs> so, so, oh, okay. But when a word of prophecy goes forth, isn't it instruction from the Lord? through a woman's voice. Right. Well, yeah, but it's coming straight from God. So that's okay. It's not like she's teaching us. God's teaching us. He's just using her voice. Okay. So (laughs) God can use a woman as long as she disconnects her brain. No, that's not what we're saying. You know, Right. then it's like, well, I mean, she can teach as long as people are aware 
and and then well she she can teach but she she can't have authority there's there's so there's all these different battle lines people draw right and you know but nobody or not nobody but very few want to valiantly defend it because we really don't want disunity so we end up not talking about it and then you've got the next generation comes up and they've got questions and nobody wants to talk <laughs> so exactly um, yes We've got to have the conversation and we've got to be willing to say I was wrong somewhere because somebody's wrong. Right. <laughs> and and when it comes to conflict, the only thing I've ever seen resolve conflict or in strife was one person had to humble himself. And it could have been the person who was right. It could have been the person who was wrong. But usually it's a level of wrong on two parties, mm. you know, different areas that they're wrong. And if one of them will humble themselves and say, look, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying I hate you. I'm just saying, you know, I see where I've been wrong in this. And um, I'm just going to ask you to please open-mindedly consider this. And we, you know, can have that conversation without it being strife. Something I tell my kids a lot is where there's envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. So Mm. even if it's over a good, uh, you know, I've seen people discuss the nature of God in a way that was so full of strife it brought darkness into the conversation mm. because because they were bombastic about it mm. or, you know, discussing Acts chapter two or whatever. I mean, you can, you can, you know, throw a wedding cake in somebody's face, turn a beautiful thing into, into a riot. Right. How we approach it, I think is, is as significant as taking the step to approach it. Yeah, I agree. We have a younger generation that comes up and and wants to ask the question and no one wants to have the conversation with them. And that can apply to all kinds of topics. And that's exactly what we're about here is pulling some of those questions out and actually having those conversations because I have been that young person. I have been the one saying, but wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And I don't understand why we do this this way. But at the same time, like you said, in order for there to be unity, someone has to be has to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to set aside being right or wrong, and I'm just going to keep a good attitude about this. You know, I think if we are trying to learn how to have conversations about things like that without creating conflict, let me use a different topic other than women in ministry as an illustration. Like my children growing up, we believe in modesty, uh, separation of genders in our clothing and, and our behavior and so forth. And I can do that as a parent to a certain age where I tell them, well, this is the way it is in our house, mm-hmm. but that's not going to work much past eight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're going to they're gonna start thinking for themselves. So, you know, conversations like that, for example, I like to start from the point of, do you think there's some line of modesty? I mean, you, do you think, and, and, and I don't know, maybe this, this could open up a whole nother can of worms, but <laughs> on matters of modesty, every person has some value of modesty, okay? And so I would start the conversation there. So, you know, what do you think is modest? So, so what do you base that on? And just start with known concepts, values that they already hold. Right. And then build it back. Well, what, what is that value based on? Is that just your personal preference? That's how you feel about it? Some scriptural thing, somebody you look up to that holds those values, whatever. And then build back to, okay, or probably a less delicate subject, but also challenging, is do you believe God created a distinction in male and female? Well, obviously, yes. If they're a Bible believer, I'm I'm assuming, you know, they have a a faith in the Word of God and God himself. Well, yes. Okay. 
so to what extent then the the dialogue is not whether there's male and female, but to what extent then should we reflect the way God created us? Yeah, that's probably opening a whole nother conversation. But I guess I was trying to use that as an illustration of the topic of women in ministry. To some extent, every believer doesn't matter where they're coming from, what religious tradition they come from, whether it's Catholic or Baptist or whatever, they all believe women have some role in ministry. Right. Okay, nobody's going to say a woman can't be involved. A woman can't. Well, okay, I'm going to say most people that I've encountered <laughs> aren't going to say. I had somebody on my YouTube channel, and he came back, and, and, and so I tried that with him, and I said, well, you know, what do you think a woman's role should be in the ter- service? He's like, oh, they should stay home. Just the men should go. I'm like, this is a little extreme. We're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I move you 25% forward in your, in your understanding of this, it's not going to be very far. So, you know, right. you can only do so much. Fine. But, uh, but for most people, they're going to say, you know, well, I believe a woman can be a nun. I believe a, a woman can sing a special but not speak, whatever. So there's going to be some anchor point where they, they do have an acceptance of this belief is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And um, same thing with, the, with the, you know, the plan of salvation. Rather than jump at their throat about, well, this is the only Bible way, it's in, in our day, people want you to hear them before they hear you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to hear what somebody's experience is with Jesus. You know, I was talking with a Jewish woman once and trying to figure out how we could get to the topic of Jesus. And so I just asked her what her experience with God. She told me an amazing, remarkable miracle story of what God did in her life. Mm. And it was faith shaping for me. And then, you know, tried to build from there to the work of God through Jesus Christ. And uh, it started with some anchor where, you know, we do agree. Yeah. And then build on that. Yeah, I think it's with uh, with lots of things. I mean, you really could you could talk about any topic either in the church or just in society in general. There's there's so much division right now. Right. That even trying to have a conversation sometimes it gets derailed before it ever starts. But I think that's kind of a common theme that I'm hearing from people who are trying to lead hard conversations in lots of different areas is we have to start mm-hmm. on common ground. And if that common ground mm-hmm. is a tiny sliver, then that's fine, right. but we have to we have to go back to where we where we can agree in order to build mm-hmm. on that because otherwise we're never going to connect and we're just going to be wasting our time, wasting our breath, <laughs> wasting our energy trying to convince somebody to see things our way when we're not even looking at the same picture. I think that's really really interesting, I, and I think it's also interesting to think about when we look at some of these maybe like quote unquote controversial. types of topics like women in ministry, going back to examine why, if I have a strong belief about this, where does that come from? Is it from the word? Is it because, like you said, someone that I admire and look up to and followed believed this way? And so I believe this way. That can get blurry sometimes. If we trust and and believe in someone, especially in ministry, so strongly their word almost becomes like the word of God. And it's often mm-hmm. very hard to, to kind of parse that out and figure out where, where it, it diverged, right? Like th- that was their opinion and they were, maybe they were my pastor. And so that was what they taught. And that was what the standard they set for our congregation. And so that's what I've always believed. But what does the word actually say? That takes some really intense 
work on the part of the individual to really look and examine where does this belief that I have come from? And that can be scary. Right. And that's a, that's a really charged concept when a woman is called by God and she has a man leading her local congregation saying she can't work in these capacities that she feels God has called her to. Mm -hmm. And there's every situation is unique and there's several things that could be said there. First off, I think it's good and healthy. Everybody's got different viewpoints and perspectives on things. For example, most churches meet on Sunday morning. But let's say the leadership in your local church said, you know, we'd reach more people in our community if we met on Mondays. Mm. And so, you know, you you could have a child grow up in a church that meets on Mondays and they leave and go to some other church that meets on Sundays and they think there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. That's that's a minor issue. It's just a time. It's just a day in the week. It's a time and, and a scheduling issue. So, you know, some people can walk away and say, well, all church has to be on Mondays <laughs> because that's the way my pastor did. Mm-hmm. You can't really hear from God on Sunday at church or whatever. You know, just just and, and, and that sounds extreme, sounds ridiculous. But that is how ridiculous some of our stuff is. We just haven't haven't seen it. Right. And uh, it's just like. It's it's as ridiculous, and, and and so even in a spirit filled movement, we can get into these ruts where we feel like, well, God's time to minister to me is after the preaching, mm. when God's wanting to fill people with His Spirit during the first song, mm-hmm. and nobody's even your trained altar workers aren't even paying attention that right. God's filling some of the Spirit out in the pews because they didn't expect it could happen at that point. We were taught that it happens after the sermon. And, and so the structure and so forth. And, and so same thing in structuring a, a church and the language that we use. And, and you can only move so much as you are able to influence. But, you know, if a person has a chance to change the language of the church, one of the things that needs to go away is the term department head. It's using that term wrong. And I, I make that argument in the book. I won't elaborate here. But Jesus is the head of the church. So what has happened, though, is some people say, well, a woman can't be a department head. Because a man is the head. So mm-hmm. we're taking one scripture and a strange use of the term in our in our modern practice and trying to apply it. And that concept of department heads totally foreign to the mind of the spirit or the writer who put those words in scripture. Mm. Then the uh, the structure of well, women can be in ministry in the children's classes and so forth, but not in the adult classes. And so from a minister standpoint, I can say this to other ministers, be very careful that you're not suppressing somebody from doing what God is doing. Even, you know, the Sanhedrin, you know, they had those words of counsel that let's not oppose God. If this is of God, it's going to continue. If it's not, it's just going to go away on its own. They didn't Mm -hmm. want to get in the way of what something might be of God, even though it was way against their tradition. Mm. And it's the same thing with God using a woman, <laughs> some people go, well, I don't know about that. I don't know how to feel about it. I'm not sure I could handle a woman pastor. You know, I, I, had a, I, I know somebody that had a woman pastor once and it didn't go well. Or someone else that says, well, I came up under a woman pastor. I think women should be pastors because you know, that's how I came. I wouldn't be in a church today if it wasn't for a woman pastor. Mm-hmm. And both are not strong enough arguments to convince the next person. Right. They need to know what the scripture says, not just what your practice was. Right. Or your feelings about it. So, yeah. 
but going back to the scripture and, and, you know, would a pastor or would a church leadership, whatever the team looks like, would they be willing to radically restructure, redefine themselves if they saw it different in the word of God? I've had the scripture, just the whole of it. I hope it's okay. I want to mm-hmm. read this. It's a modern, I think this is the modern English version. And it, um, it just, it, it makes this emphasis so strong and, and, and we'll talk about why this narrative is, is so telling here in a second. But Matthew 28, at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And then there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his garments white as snow. The soldiers shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Listen, I have told you. So the angel instructs the women to go and tell the congregation the message. So that's preaching that he's mm-hmm. risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Listen, I've told you. So in somewhat of a passive sense, he's going to be in Galilee. You're going to see him there. It's kind of a um, a gentle way of saying you need to get to Galilee. That's where right. Jesus wants to see it. Right. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word as they went to tell his disciples. So remember, they're commissioned with a message from heaven. Suddenly, Jesus met them saying, greetings. They came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So they've been commissioned with the message. The angel gave them the message of the gospel that Jesus has risen. And then Jesus gave them the command to give the command to his brethren. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, we've got the chief priests and, and the soldiers and the elders and everybody consorting together and lying about Jesus. But then in verse 16, it just continues the story. Then the 11 disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So in Matthew's narrative, he shows us the progression here that the angel told the women to tell everyone, including the men. Jesus told the women to tell everyone, especially the men, (laughs) to go and meet him there. And then in verse 16, the 11 disciples, the apostles, the the leaders, as we would call them, are now there. They did as instructed. Hmm. It's a very interesting progression. And it's... Not even Matthew's emphasis to put the spotlight on women nearly as much as Luke's was. Right. Luke shows us a whole lot more of the radical approach Jesus had to his handling of the poor and his handling of women and and children. Um, So the ones that society overlooked, Jesus focused on, elevated, and in this point, to a place of ministry. And that whole declaration we quote, in every which way, shape, or form, all authority has been given to me, go, therefore, make disciples, all that. That conversation Jesus had with his disciples was set up by the women going and carrying the message. That's what Matthew's narrative is showing us. Yeah. So the 
pushback someone would have that doesn't believe in women in ministry go, well, that's a good story, but that doesn't tell us that's the way it's supposed to happen. But remember, all scripture is given for instruction, mm-hmm. not just the instructive scriptures that say, oh, church, listen, you know, these words I have for you. But the narratives are for instruction as well. And that way of reading the Bible is essential to the Pentecostal experience. Mm-hmm. And that's why the book is Pentecostal Women in Ministry, because we can make this declaration a lot stronger. One, because the scriptures that put women in ministry are scriptures also that are about the Spirit working in every vessel, young and old, male and female. And those scriptures are relegated as narrative in a lot of Bible schools. So, for example, certain faith traditions, many Protestant faith beliefs have said, well, Acts is history, it's narrative. But Romans is didactic, it's teaching. Mm. So they base their view of salvation off of Romans rather than Acts, whereas we say, no, both teach us. Right. And the experience that we see in Acts 2 is for all people, as many as are far off. We believe that that applies to us. It's not just a great story about what happened, but it applies to us. The the story of the Battle of Jericho applies to us. The same power of God is present for us today. It's not just interesting history. And so letting the narrative change us, not just, you know, a scripture that says, well, do it exactly this way, but but letting our minds, our, our treatment of the of our beliefs and our behaviors be shaped by what we see Jesus doing, and then we see the Spirit-filled people doing. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because as apostolics, when we're, when we're approaching the, some of these topics, like you said, salvation, the infilling of the Spirit, we rely so heavily on, but no, this is the way that it happened. We go to Acts 2, we go to Acts 10, we go to Acts 19, right? And we say, no, we, we follow the pattern of what we see them doing in Scripture. This is the story of the first church. This is how we do it. And we come against mm-hmm. the idea that, no, the instruction was in Romans, and that's how we find salvation, right? We, we are experts at making that argument. Um, but when it comes to right. this topic, we don't want to look at the examples that we see in Scripture. We want to just look at a few specific verses <laughs> where Paul is seeming to be instructing on what women should do in the church. Right. If we take it at face value and literally what he's saying, like you said earlier, it doesn't actually make sense because it contradicts other passages about the working of the Spirit. It's, I just find it right. so fascinating. I find it, I find it infinitely fascinating. And as a woman in the past, I found it frustrating because it does, I don't, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound bitter because I'm not bitter, but it feels almost targeted. Like, what is it about this specific topic that, that people, why do they feel so passionately about this one thing? <laughs> It's very hard for me to kind of wrap my brain around. Even recently, uh, we interviewed, I, I was able to interview Dr. Bernard for the podcast, and we didn't talk about women in ministry at all. We talked about entirely different topics. But a lot of the comments that came up on social media were from people that I'm almost positive didn't listen to the show at all. <laughs> but there were multiple people who came to my social media posts about the interview with Dr. Bernard and said, well, you need to ask him about what he thinks about women in ministry because, and then they would just go off on these tirades. And I was like, this just, this blows my mind. I don't, I don't understand where this comes from. Yeah. You know, and that, that helps me because when it comes to social media, uh, one of the things that I finally just said, okay, 
I'm just going to write this in a book because having the conversation on social media is really difficult Mm -hmm. because as soon as you say, well, in first Timothy, he was talking about husbands and wives, not, you know, church Mm -hmm. structure. Then it's just like, oh, well, and so, so you start to break down. Well, you know, we've, we've got topics of childbearing. That's not a church function. That's a familial function. (laughs) That's, that's, (laughs) definitely talking about husbands and wives you know it's it's bookends about spouses on that passage so you're halfway through explaining that as you're typing ferociously or you know text uh, using your thumbs to to <laughs> respond to the post and then they come back and say yeah but what about this verse and then so so you you finish that and you try to go over to that verse and and again it's back to the and you can't just say this to a person but i think it's back to that issue of pride mm-hmm. and if if you're willing to slow down and humble yourself and just approach the whole thing. I mean, after I wrote, he called her, I sat down and read this whole book of one of the most astute minds in scholarly circles today, as he shredded every argument for women in ministry and proved conclusively in his mind why women do not have a role as pastors or leaders. Mm. And uh, because I was willing, I, I'm like, no, if, if, if I'm right, then this shouldn't hurt me. It could only help me. Mm-hmm. Although I was nervous. <laughs> 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 and actually, when I finished the book, I had more to go back and add into my book that, oh, and, and I could just see the holes through his arguments. Mm. But he was coming from this uh, Reformed theological perspective. And so it, it's this whole package deal that, you know, like a house of cards, when part of your doctrine falls, if you remove one piece, it all falls down. Mm-hmm. And so here's something else, Jessica. I think I think I have the liberty to say this, and I didn't go here in the book um, just because I didn't want to drag in a bunch of other issues. But here's another issue that I think creates a complexity for us that shouldn't be there. And I actually started a book called Neither Male Nor Female. And... Uh, I haven't finished it because I, I can just I can just see it becoming volatile. But, <laughs> you know, the scripture says neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor, male nor female. It's a, it's a contextual statement. It's it's not saying gender doesn't matter. But here's what happens practically. OK, and I know that in all of the churches I fellowship with and all the ministers that I know, we're all rock solid. We believe there's a distinction in gender. Men are men, women are women and that we need to celebrate those differences. But at the same time, at some of our uh, marriage, let's take marriage retreats, for example. The speaker gets up, and I'm not targeting any one speaker because I don't even have anybody in mind right now who said this, but it's said often and over and over. They'll say stuff like, men are terrible with directions. Mm -hmm. They'll get lost, and they'll drive for an hour before they stop and ask for directions. And we all laugh. Women just love to shop. I mean, you don't give her the credit card. She's going to go and, you know, come out with 15 bags of who knows what from Neiman Markups. (laughs) And, you know, and we have a good time. We laugh about it, but it's wrong. It's very, very wrong. It's those are not gender roles. Mm. There are personalities Mm. who refuse to get directions. There are personalities who don't read the instructions and are just going to figure it out by putting it together themselves. There are men that do that. There are women that do that. Mm -hmm. And, And I raise my boys to be tough. I mean, you know, they're hardworking, they're outdoors, they, they do all kinds of different stuff. 
I've taught them construction. I've taught them vehicle maintenance and stuff like that. And my daughters too, if they wanted to learn. But then again, it's kind of overly stereotypic to say that, you know, women cook and clean. (laughs) I'm laughing because I have a story for you regarding on on those lines. I have a six-year-old daughter and she was playing Barbies with my mom and they were, they were doing a Barbie wedding. So very girly, you know, very stereotypically girly. (laughs) And my mom was being kind of silly. She was being pretending to be the preacher. And she was like, okay, Barbie, do you promise to cook and to clean and to do the dishes and the laundry? And my six-year-old just looked at her in all seriousness and said, Mimi, that's what husbands do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because my husband is, uh, you know, retired from the military. He's at home with them now. I work part-time and he does all of our cooking. And so she sees him at home doing the home things and I go to work. And so it just cracked me up. I was like, yes, we have, (laughs) we have started to break some of these (laughs) barriers down in her little mind. It just made me, it made me proud and it made me laugh. (laughs) It, that is funny. That is funny. And, you know, some of the best chefs in the world have been men. Mm-hmm. Yet a lot of times in our homes, we acclimatize our children to to a different. And so what happens is, you know, my daughter, or I'm sorry, my wife, when she was growing up, was often called a tomboy mm. because she's got this aggressive personality or whatever. I'm not sure what they were referring to. Stubborn, whatever, you know, tough. And she didn't really ever struggle with this. But I see this where and I've seen it be redemptive speaking with a live audience before talking about this, that, you know, sometimes people struggle with gender confusion simply because we're saying things that are stereotypically assumed, but aren't true. Mm. There's a, um, one of these, I don't know if he's a comedian or a marriage enrichment teacher or or what he is, but um, I've seen this clip shared a million times online and this guy is saying something like you know guys they, they they can't find anything you ask him well go get the butter and so he opens the fridge and he looks and he looks and he looks and he can't see it and so then his wife has to get up and say it's right here right in the front you know and my wife got upset that she's like that's not true if if the refrigerator is not his domain how's he going to find it any more than i find a wrench Mm-hmm. out in the garage mm-hmm. you know it, it's not that he can't do things in the kitchen it's just if that's not his realm then he's going to struggle with it yeah and my wife by the way is the great cook and i'm pretty much banned from the kitchen because <laughs> i <laughs> i invent things nobody wants to eat but that's a topic. <laughs> so i mean bigger issue bigger bigger perspective but you know a, a man shouldn't question his identity just because he loves cooking right and so in the church, you know, we've adopted some of those stereotypical things. That was my reason for bringing that up is, you know, some of these stereotypes aren't true. And we've adopted some of these stereotypes in the true that when we look at the scripture, suddenly, you know, it's like the monster in your room when you're a kid, you turn on the light. It's just a shadow. There's nothing really there. Right. And we look at the scripture, we throw the light on the situation. And, and it's not this big, hairy issue that we thought it was. It vanishes. Yeah. It's not an issue at all. You know, one of, the, one of those points of agreement I like to start with people on is, especially if they were raised in the faith, you know, did your mom teach me? The, oh, my mom, you know, prayed with me. My mom, you know, was the one who talked to me about baptism or whatever. Okay, so she taught you. Yeah. And, and, and she was shepherding you. She was watching out for your heart. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so she could do that with you because you were her child, right? Yeah. yeah. 
do you think she could do that with others that God would send to her that she could foster in the faith? Well, yeah. Well, how many? Because <laughs> at what point does it become a church? Right. And breaking those stereotypes that women can teach Sunday school, but they can't teach adult class or, you know, women can be missionaries, but mm-hmm. they can't be pastors. My wife and my kids, uh, we homeschool. And so they've been studying Switzerland. So she got on FaceTime with Amber. And I'm going to slaughter her last name, but I like to do as official as possible. Hackenbruch or something like that. <laughs> she's got a German last name, but she's, she's ministering in Germany, Switzerland. And so they got to FaceTime with her. And she's talking about, you know, what they're doing in the Bible schools and the pastors that are being converted and so forth. And I, I thought it was really cool because, you know, they get to hear about her driving on the Autobahn and eating Swiss chocolate and stuff like that. But also they're, they're growing up with this natural impression that, that women do these things. Right. It wasn't like, well, okay, kids, now we're going to talk to somebody that's a, that's a female missionary, but she can be because she's got a pastor who said it was okay or something like that. You know, <laughs> we make it weird. It's just, this is the, the, uh, the norm. And, and Paul wasn't like, you know, I, I want to apologize, you know, for Junia. I know she, she ended up getting locked up for what she did. And, you know, it wasn't very womanly. No, for a woman to get arrested, you know, to be a fellow prisoner with Paul, she had to be doing some outstanding stuff. Yeah. And for him to call her a noteworthy apostle. And as jaded as that culture was back then, it's funny how normal Paul addresses those things and the others do, John and so forth, you know, my, the elect lady. They didn't say, you know, they, they didn't come at it combative. Right. Well, I know some of you won't reject, won't, won't accept her ministry, but, but I think she's an awesome lady or something like that. Just, just rolled her in there. And, and, and as you see, Jesus do, does, you know, just says, go and tell, to go and tell the brothers. He didn't say, don't worry about the stereotypes. Don't worry that they're, they're going to ignore you and, and not listen to you and not go right away. Because if, if I understand the, the chronology there, they didn't go right away. Yeah. But Matthew shows us that they did end up there where Jesus had instructed the women to tell them to go. You know, it, not going at it. And I have no point of experience to say this from. All I can say is, you know, this is what I believe is the Bible pattern. But, you know, to be a woman in ministry and to hold your head up and just go forward with God, what God has called you to do without feeling like you have to justify yourself at every turn. Hmm. That's so interesting because uh, I hear that happening. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of, I guess, have an ear for it. Maybe since reading your book, being a woman who has felt like I have a calling of some kind myself, I guess I kind of am sensitive to it. But I hear all these different ways and I see different ways that women approach this, whether they they don't want to be called the preacher. They they want to say, I will speak, but I but I don't want to I don't want you to say that I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. I've heard several women do this. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just find it interesting that I see women doing it much more often than men, which is when they come into the pulpit and they make the acknowledgement of the covering of the pastor, the covering of their husband, or the co- you know, one recently mm-hmm. I heard her say, you know, my pastor knows that I'm here. And mm-hmm. I think that that's fine, but I just find it fascinating. I, I have heard men in the pulpit say that similar things, but not very often. And so I do think that there is, even women who who know and believe and are supported and are acting on the call that they know God has placed on their lives, still feel the need to justify themselves or, I don't know, 
it, it's it's so interesting to me and sad in some ways because like you I'm just th- I'm so thankful for every woman that I see acting on the calling that God has on her life because my daughters are watching that and right. they're going to grow up and it's not going to be I hope that it's not going to be anything unusual for them to see mm-hmm. a woman in the pulpit to see a woman leading and teaching in whatever area I don't know I just I think it's interesting yeah I'm I'm probably not the best resource for telling a woman how to handle that. I think it's going to be as unique as you are and your situation. Mm-hmm. But I've read and heard the stories of women that just went forward and did it anyway. And and in some senses, it's it's true for men too, because we all can be despised for something. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard men speak before and say, well, you know, I may have been this, but, you know, but God's great. Well, I don't know you as that. I'm just here to hear the message God's giving through you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep, you know, resurrecting your past and apologizing for it. Or, you know, I came from Skid Row or I came from this or, you know, the person that is in a racial minority here in the U.S. who constantly refers to race. You know, it's not on my mind. I'm not thinking at it, but they think that I'm looking at them with a different skin color and I'm thinking about it the whole time. And I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm accepting them as a servant of God. Don't apologize. Don't don't colorize everything. Let's just get to what thus saith the Lord. And uh, again, not the same issue, but a, a similar concept. Yeah. That you know, just for a point of reference, it's, it 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 slows people down. Yeah. Uh, anytime you give apologies about something that's already not an issue, it just it's like my wife told me once. She's like, you know, when people come over. We don't have to apologize for the house being a mess. I just thought that was a, a good, gracious thing to do. Oh, please excuse the mess, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's clean. Because I'm sure that something is out of order. She's like, they know we have kids and they don't even notice, you know, if the couch cushions are out of place or if the, there's papers on the floor or something, unless we draw their attention to it. Yeah. Why draw their attention to it if they didn't, didn't even care? Yeah. Like, well, that's a good point. And, yeah. and similarly, you know, drawing people's attention because then afterwards um you know they might be asking so should a woman speak in church you know and this this person just left the honky-tonk just started coming to church (laughs) got baptized last week and now they're into these deep theological arguments about a woman's role in church because somebody brought it up and it probably wasn't even a question in their mind before they've had female teachers in school they've had female bosses female preacher shouldn't be an issue but we we tell them it's an issue then we tell them it's not an issue <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of it is just our own insecurity and probably right. the enemy trying to derail us from operating in the gift or the authority that God has given us to operate. And so we we let it make we let it become an issue whenever it's not really and it should never be. Mm-hmm. I want to back up though. I want you to I want you to just kind of for people who haven't read your book, I want you to just kind of briefly tell the story of how you came to write this book. And again, going back to the very first thing we talked about, like that whole idea of changing your mind. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So that happens to me often. Every few months or so, I'll come across something in scripture and it's just like, oh, this changes everything. And it probably doesn't change anything I'm doing practically, but it might change my why. Mm. Like one of the biggest transitions in my life was when I realized that my walk with God was not based on me living up to who he was, but him living through me 
to be what he is. Hmm. And it's like everything I'd ever valued and everything I'd worked toward just kind of like the floor fell out from under me. Just like, okay, so there's this completed work in Christ. It's done. I'm complete in his eyes. Hmm. I, I can't do anything to impress him. And the active abiding presence of God in my life empowers me to do those things. It's not that I want to love people. It's that God in me is loving them. And so when I found myself struggling to love someone, I just went back to that biblical truth. And it's, it's, a, it's a long story. That's not the point of this conversation. But I just went back to, hey, God loves them. He lives in me. So I love them. Mm. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, I've got to work at this. He's done it, and and he's already doing it in me. I mean, the faith, hope, love, joy, peace, those aren't mine. Mm. That's the Spirit's fruit. Mm-hmm. I don't have to grow that. He's already got it. And so it's something I can tap into right now. I, I, I'm struggling with depression. Okay, but God's given me joy. I already have joy. I just got to transition over to being that person God's already paid for me to be. So rather than it be a conversation of, well, sometimes your whole viewpoint is going to change, I think that that's the progressive walk with God. It's continual revelation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, just because you grew up in the faith, does that mean you're not going to discover anything new? No, I mean, the the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge is an ongoing work in us. We're going to continue to understand more and more to one day the whole veil is pulled back and we see it all clearly on that day the Lord comes. So if if I'm not having that experience, I'm going to question, mm-hmm. am I even growing? Mm-hmm. But then, uh, so I guess starting with that willingness to change, because repentance is, you know, fundamentally a change of thinking and then a change of action. John said, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. So if your mindset has changed, you now realize that what you thought was right is wrong, then what you do is going to change. Right. And, and I thought I had done the, the epic monumental work of writing this down to help other people see from a different angle and understand the role of women in ministry better. And I thought that was my contribution to it. And in 2019, God started working on me and tapped me on the shoulder about something I'd written in the book. And that was, it's not enough for men to say that women have a place in ministry but to give them their place. Mm. I mean, if you really believe it, you're not just going to give them room. You might give them your own room. Mm -hmm. And he began tapping on me and saying, and now it's time to do that. And I wasn't prepared for that. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was, I never thought I would, I would uh, resign from pastoring. I never thought I'd step away from the town and the church we were called to. And then he showed me the lady and her husband that he had in mind. And it was, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight, but the same day that he confirmed it to me, he confirmed it to them. Hmm. Although we couldn't talk about it because they, they had a pastor and I wasn't going to go around the ones that they were submitted to. And so we went through the proper channels and so forth and started conversations before they knew we were having conversations and long story short, it worked out and, and they're doing a great job, took over from where we were and, we love them. We're happy with them. They're doing a wonderful work to the Lord. So that's a long way from where I was early in ministry, telling a man whose wife came to the Lord under a woman pastor. He asked me, what do you think about women pastor? I'm like, well, I believe God can use women, but they shouldn't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I remember having that conversation. And so that was a, that was a huge 
I remember, I believe it was Nathaniel Urshan that would preach repentance as doing a 180, a huge about face. Mm-hmm. I remember him getting some of our military chaplains up there and, you know, he'd command them to repent. They would turn around, go the other direction. That was a huge turnaround in, in, in my thinking, but then it had to happen in practice too, I guess. Mm. And we didn't do it, you know, for a publicity thing or anything. I never even announced, you know, a big announcement that I was resigning or anything, just kind of went through it. It was a challenging thing. You question yourself on several times, but I know we did the right deal. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I want to always be vulnerable to what God desires. Yeah. And putting your actions behind it, putting your money where your mouth is. Um, that's what our kids have done as well as we did, a, you know, a little thing where we're supporting Sister Amber over there in Switzerland and Germany. We wanted to reach out and help support her ministry over there. Um, they're doing some pretty cool stuff. Got um, Bible school and I think camp meeting and stuff like that that we're helping out with. And, uh, you know, just just being willing to change. But I guess it, it, it started with, I had to have an answer. It started with probably an academic pursuit of how do you reconcile these scriptures? But then once God opened my eyes through the scriptures, it got a hold of my heart. Mm. And, you know, and, and I remember telling my wife partway through that process of writing the book, I'm like, well, I, I'm not big in politics. I don't, you know, like to get into controversial issues. But if there was a hill worth dying on, this is one of them. So mm. I could really care less what anybody thinks of me. And I've heard what some people think of me. Mm. I've heard a lot of good and I've heard a lot of bad. So it balances out, you know. Don't believe <laughs> half of what anybody says, good or bad. They say great things about you. Don't believe all of it. They say bad about you. It's not all true either. But, uh, and, and I encourage anybody, you know, just dive into it. Start start studying those scriptures. Start, if, if you don't, you know, if they read my book, and they still aren't convinced and study it on your own. I'm not, I don't feel like I have to defend the scriptures. Mm. God's word will take care of itself. Yeah. And at the same time, watch what he's doing around you because he's, he's calling people to ministry. And, and so one thing I think every, every woman and every young minister, aspiring minister needs to hear is you've got to go through some battles. It's just like, oh, I don't know, the monarch butterfly, you know, it, it struggles to get out of its, chrysalis but when it comes out it's pushed all the blood to the wings where it needs to be and then it can and pump it and fly and and it, part of the struggle is helping it through that change to become what it's supposed to be mm. there's probably a hundred other better, better illustrations but that's one that popped to mind and yeah. and so part of that struggle could be you know paul says there's conflicts outside and there's conflicts on the inside. I have enemies who I expect to hate me. And then I have enemies showing up inside the church. Mm. And I don't know if we're ever prepared for that, regardless of this topic. I don't know that we're ever prepared for that, that God's going to shape you through hurts. I mean, if Jesus was wounded in the house of his brethren, what makes me think I'm immune? Yeah. And so it could be something that's said. It could be something that's done to, you know, block you from what you thought God called you to minister to the youth and, and then they brought in someone else and boom, you know, your, your hopes were crushed or whatever it was that, that you thought was going to happen. Those are the things that we've got to let deepen our confidence in God, deepen our experience in God and not let them turn us bitter. Mm. Um, if we, and this is another huge shift, but if it, which is really hard for us in convenience minded America, but if 
we would learn to celebrate the wounds like Paul did. He said, I'm filling up in my body the scars of Jesus, the beatings mm. of Jesus. And he, and he didn't say it like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm measured up to everything he went through. He's like, I'm still in the process of collecting all my Jesus souvenirs of mm. being hurt. That Yeah, that's a mindset shift. Wow. You know, and, and so so again, you can be rejected because of your race. There's certain people that aren't going to listen to you. You could be rejected because you're a woman. You could be rejected for any number of reasons. Whatever they are, let those help you grow into what God's designed for you to be. Because it's not like he says, Jessica, I'm going to call you to ministry. Um, oh, I didn't realize somebody was going to hate you because you told them that. I didn't realize, you know, it's not like he didn't know that there would be hurts in the path of that process. Right. He knew that. And I, I mean, Jesus had joy looking toward the cross, knowing mm. that his main purpose in ministry was going to be the most painful experience he could ever go through. And the apostles, they rejoiced. Again, I've never experienced this. I don't know how to think like this, but they rejoiced that they got beat for Jesus' sake. Yeah. But I can talk about it. I'm not sure I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to, it's a different way of looking at it that I can only imagine is only possible through the spirit. Right. Because in our flesh, rejection and people not believing that we're called or the things that they say or the things that they do, those things don't feel like blessings worth rejoicing over. <laughs> right. They feel like they're crushing right. us and, and they make us doubt. But I think that's such, um, it's something I'm going to keep in mind because it's a promise, right? That we're going to be hated for his namesake and we're going to be, we're not going to be popular and we're not going to be beloved, at least not all the time. Wow. And it's good to get a mindset of ministry that's not just what position or role can I have in the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got a lot of pastors and young ministers that have never won a soul. They don't know how to do it on the street. Mm. They've come up in a church culture. And so their their whole focus is on becoming a part of that church culture because of them, that's where ministry happens. Mm. And so for women to be pushed out of the pulpit could push some into the street where Jesus ministered. And not that, you know, women aren't, but that in some ways it helps push us out of that institution or that program and really get the mind of the Lord and say, okay, what do you want me to do if if I'm locked out there? Mm -hmm. What is it that you want me to do? Where where can I make a difference? And you might never speak at a conference. And I, I'll tell you, I've met some conference speakers that have no idea how to reach people on the street. They have no idea how to, you know, build a church. They've kind of had some good connections or they were just a great speaker. And uh, as the saying goes, you know, have some corn in the crib. Mm. Or people who can put on a great speech are those who are bringing in the harvest. Yeah. And that's, you know, its own set of challenges, its own set of rejection. But I think think we need to focus there. And not that we don't. I mean, I, I think out of any Christian movement, I think the apostolics are, are more... And, and, and I can understand the reasons why, but we're more aggressive about evangelism than just about anybody else you compare us to. Because we believe there's essential steps that people need to take, not just, you know, make this faith statement and then go on with their lives. We, yeah. We're looking for a whole life of transformation. So we're, we're motivated. So I'm, I, I'm preaching to the choir when I say we need to reach outside our own walls. But, I mean, how many 
you, you go back and look at Nona Freeman. You know, she made her place in Africa. Nobody knew who she was till after after Africa. She found a place where she could make a dynamic impact. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, even though a system is prejudiced against, you know, women evangelists, sometimes women speakers and women pastors, you know, at least in the United Pentecostal Church that I'm a part of, we've always been open to women in missionary work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to argue again. I'm not going to say, well, that should it doesn't I'm just saying thank God you know yeah. we've got at least that open yeah which you know you saw apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers you know missionaries on that that apostle level they're they're going out and plowing into new areas mm-hmm. um, it only helps our understanding of, of role women in ministry when we have missionaries yeah wow well we have talked about lots of different things here I'm looking through my outline to make sure we haven't missed anything that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, I don't think that we have. Is there anything more that you feel like is important to say before we go to our final question? I know your social channels are going to be asking all kinds of questions of what do you do with this scripture? What do you do with that scripture? And I hate it when authors say this, but that's what I deal with on two to four chapters of the book are Mm -hmm. some of those passages that we'll bring up that they think are showstoppers for this topic and just, you know, looking at the context and so forth, it's really not a challenge to our understanding of, of women's role in ministry, but this has been more practical, you know, of where understanding your role, understanding how to converse with other people about it mm-hmm. and uh, is seeing yourself, you know, continue to see yourself as what Jesus has called you to be rather than accept whatever people are trying to hold you down to. Yeah, I think that would be the the biggest thing. But no, I don't feel like we've left out anything. Okay. Well, and I, you know, I mentioned earlier the comments that we got on the <laughs> the episode with Dr. Bernard, and I was just linking to your to your book on Amazon <laughs> over and over and over. If you have more detailed questions about this, you need to read this book. You need to read this book. You need to read this book because you explain and break those scriptures down in such a way in in several instances in ways I've never heard taught I've never understood I cried reading your book because it was so encouraging to me as a woman and I'm sharing it and sending it to everyone that I know who has questions about this topic because I feel like the Lord really is using it and using you to to kind of break down some of these these traditional arguments that we've we've heard all of our lives, but that really fall apart when you start to examine them logically. So I appreciate the work that you've done on this. I appreciate you, like you said, deciding this was a hill worth dying on because it it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to some ladies that I know. And um, so I, I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you so much. The last question that we always ask on our show is always the same. Our show is called Good Question. So I like to ask every guest, what is a good question that you're asking lately? Are we experiencing church the way Jesus envisioned it? Mm, I like that question. <laughs> I have wondered that myself. I actually asked my husband not long ago, I was like, if the Apostle Paul were to walk into one of our services, would he recognize what was going on? Like, I just, I find it so fascinating to think about how different things must be from the way they were in the early church and the way they met and the way they held service. So... That's a fascinating question. I don't know how they got 3,000 together without PowerPoint and bounce houses. I just don't get it. (laughs) 
Well, if we could figure it out, we could save ourselves a lot of stress and money, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, um, I appreciate it. And uh, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank you so much, sister. I'll talk to you soon. Wow. I don't know about you, but that conversation held some deep nuggets of truth that I needed to hear. Where is my pride keeping me from examining incorrect beliefs and assumptions I have about God or His Word? As a woman who feels called by God, am I seeking a position and a title? Or am I willing to walk away from closed doors and take to the streets where Jesus ministered to the hurting? Do I rejoice in suffering and rejection? Or do I let that derail me from my calling? So many things to think about. When it comes to the topic of women in ministry, as Brother Corin said, there are some specific passages of scripture that always come up. In his book, he breaks down those passages in detail. He explains the historical context and he demonstrates how they might not say exactly what you've always been taught. I encourage you to get a copy and to read it with an open mind and a willingness to change your mind if necessary. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can get a hard copy or the Kindle version from Amazon. I have the Kindle version myself. It's not too long or too dense, and I think it's incredibly impactful. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll share it with a friend and then come chat with us about it on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tandera. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find our show page on Facebook. Just search Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. You can also email us. Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and a man who champions women in the ministry is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Pawalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.